This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Fragile X syndrome is a rare developmental disorder and the most common cause of inherited intellectual disability. Tetra Discovery Partners, building on research about the role of the enzyme PDE4 plays in the disease, is developing an experimental drug to inhibit its activity. We spoke to Mark Gurney, chairman and CEO of Tetra Discovery Partners, about Fragile X, the potential of its PDE4 inhibitor, and why this drug may have therapeutic benefit in a range of neurodegenerative diseases. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hi, Danny. Thanks very much for the invitation to be on your podcast. We're going to talk about Fragile X, Tetra Discovery Partners Experimental Therapy, now in mid-stage clinical testing, and possible ties between this rare genetic disease and certain other neurodegenerative disorders. Let's start with Fragile X, though. For listeners not familiar with the condition, what is it? How rare is it? How, how does the disease manifest itself? And how does it progress? Sure. Thanks, Danny. Fragile X uh, syndrome is a, uh, a neurogenetic uh, disorder. It's a developmental disorder. It's caused by a change in a, in a gene on the X chromosome, and that's why it's called Fragile X. Uh, this is a, a type of disease that's referred to as a, as a repeat expansion disease. So uh, there's a, a location on that chromosome that has a CGG repeat, and as that repeat grows inside, in size due to miscopying, um, that can cause disease. Uh, patients with Fragile X syndrome are primarily uh, uh, male. Uh, boys are more severely affected than girls because they only have one X chromosome. Uh, as the uh, uh, as the disease progresses, um, it causes intellectual disability with autistic spectrum disorder. There's some characteristic uh, uh, facial features that are present in uh, in patients with fragile X, but primarily the the complaint is the intellectual disability with the autism. How how is fragile X treated today? Um, there are no effective medications for treating fragile X syndrome. Uh, patients uh, show anxiety, and that can be treated with a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Um, they show uh, agitation, and that responds partially to treatment with a uh, with a schizophrenic uh, anti-schizophrenic drug. Uh, younger patients in the age of 18 to 22 uh, may be prone to epilepsy, so they may be receiving an anti-epileptic drug. Basically, all those drugs suppress behavior so much that many of the patients also receive Ritalin 
to try and bring them up to some more normal activity level. PDE4 is an enzyme that is long ago as 1990 was implicated in Fragile X. What is PDE4 and what does it do? Mm -hmm. Our clinical collaborator in our Fragile X study is uh, Dr. Elizabeth Barry Kravis. When uh, Dr. Barry Kravis was a uh, research fellow, uh, she did the foundational work on uh, the biochemistry of Fragile X. And what she found is that uh, there's dysregulation of an important signaling pathway that's dependent on cyclic AMP. So she found uh, uh, that in patients with Fragile X syndrome, that there's a decrease in the basal amount of cyclic AMP. And when cells are stimulated, they produce less cyclic AMP than normal. So phosphodiesterase uh, uh, 4, PDE4, is one of the enzymes that breaks down cyclic AMP. So the therapeutic hypothesis is that by inhibiting PDE4, we'll increase the amount of cyclic AMP in the, in the patient and uh, provide uh, therape therapeutic benefits. There's been encouraging work in animal models to show that if you inhibit PDE4, it can benefit Fragile X. What is the animal model shown to date? Yeah, indeed. So the, the first observations were in patients, and once the Fragile X gene was cloned, it was discovered that there's a homolog in, uh, in Drosophila and there's a homolog in mice. And so when you genetically inactivate either the fly gene or the mouse gene, that reproduces many of the aspects of the behavioral changes and structural changes in the brain that you see in the Fragile X patients. So, for example, uh, fruit flies learn. They learn to discriminate odors. And uh, they have social interactions. When males or male fruit flies are courting females, they, they have a little dance that they do where they vibrate their wings. And so in the Drosophila model of Fragile X, um, they don't learn olfactory discrimination. They can't discriminate between two different odors. And nor do the males court the females. So they have a, you know, a defect in social interaction. When you actually look at the uh, brains of the fruit flies, they have less lactic AMP. And so now, either genetically or pharmacologically, if you increase the amount of lactic AMP, you improve the behavior of the fruit fly. And we found that in, in the mouse model as well, through a collaboration with uh, the Fraxa Foundation. Their chief scientific officer is uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Trampaglia. And uh, with Dr. Trampaglia's help, we designed a series of experiments in uh, the Fragile X uh, mouse model and found that our drug, BPN14770, increases psychic AMP in the brain. And when it does so, it improves multiple behavioral phenotypes. Uh, the animals are less anxious. They're, uh, they show uh, less arousal. They now show social interaction. And uh, we change the, or we improve, the structure of the connections of neurons in the brain. In the case of Fragile X, animal models have, have not always been very reliable. What's the case here to believe it's any different in terms of PDE4 and inhibiting that? Mm -hmm. The therapeutic approaches that typically are explored for brain diseases are either what I would call circuit-level or uh, a more fundamental, deeper biochemical level. So, for example, in the case of Alzheimer's disease, it's clear that 
one of the vulnerable types of neurons is a neuron that produces acetylcholine. So there's less acetylcholine in the brain of a, of a patient with Alzheimer's disease. The only effective therapeutics that have been discovered are uh, inhibitors of the enzyme that breaks down the acetylcholine. So the therapeutic hypothesis is that if we can uh, treat this biochemical deficit in Alzheimer's, there might be some clinical benefit. And that's what we're doing with BPN14770. At a fundamental level, the genetic change is reducing cyclic AMP signaling everywhere in the body, including the brain. So that decrease in cyclic AMP signaling affects multiple aspects of brain function in multiple circuits. So our drug BPN14770 is addressing the biochemical change at a deep level. There have been attempts to affect, um, uh, to improve behavioral phenotypes, behavioral changes in patients at a circuit level, and so far those have not been so effective. And in fact, you know, the use of, uh, of the serotonin reuptake inhibitor or the antineuroleptic or the antiepileptic drugs to treat various aspects of Fragile X are examples of trying to intervene at that circuit level. Unfortunately, they don't, you know, really provide uh, as much clinical benefit as, uh, as the patients need. Well, let's talk about your experimental therapy, 14770. What exactly is it? How is it delivered, and, and what does it do? Uh, great question. Thank you, Danny. So BPN14770 is a small molecule uh, orally bioavailable inhibitor of a subtype of PDE4, designated PD4D. Uh, the drug was developed through a collaborative agreement with the National Institute of Health through the uh, Blueprint, Neuro, uh, Blueprint uh, sorry, Neuroscience Blueprint Network, BPN, and uh, took us several years of work to develop this compound. We went through many, many different compounds during the course of the discovery program. That compound is now uh, passed through uh, three phase one trials in healthy volunteers, and we're, uh, we're ready to start the, uh, the Fragile X clinical trial. The BPN14770 is different from other PD4 inhibitors in that it inhibits just one subtype of PD4. There are four PD4 enzymes, A, B, C, and D. This compound only inhibits PD4D. And we know PD4D is important for brain function because there are um, very, very, very rare mutations in the enzyme that uh, also cause intellectual disability. So we're working in a pathway that's been genetically defined. So uh, fragile X mutations, uh, PD4D mutations. Downstream, uh, there's a, another, uh, this pathway activates something called CREB, and there are uh, mutations in CREB binding protein that also cause intellectual disability. So we feel we're working at a fundamental level where the, uh, by inhibiting this particular subtype of PD4, we're able to change uh, and stabilize synapses. It's also worth noting that this doesn't just turn off the activity, it modulates it. What, what's the significance of being able to modulate PD4? Yeah, the earlier compounds um, inhibited all forms of the enzyme and they inhibit them, inhibited them completely. And cyclic AMP is an important signaling molecule. Uh, when you inhibit all the enzymes that, um, that break it down, uh, there's some toxicity. So there are two compounds 
2PD4 inhibitors that are uh, approved and marketed for uh, inflammatory disease. Uh, their generic names are rifumilast and apremilast. And these compounds um, cause nausea and uh, vomiting in uh, patients at the clinical dose. And, that's, and, and those patients, those compounds have tolerability or the degree of tolerability that they exist because they don't go into the brain. And we know that the uh, mechanism of nausea is, uh, is a brain-dependent mechanism. So in the case of BPN14770, our challenge was to inhibit the enzyme without causing these undesirable CNS-mediated side effects. And we do that by uh, uh, through uh, uh, developing a modulator rather than a, uh, an inhibitor of the active site. So one, there's selectivity. The selectivity improves the tolerability. And two, the compound is um, also has selectivity for an activated form of the enzyme. So as the enzyme is uh, flipping on and off, we're able to inhibit the on form, the activated form of the enzyme, in preference to the basal form. And we think that really contributes to the to the tolerability of the enzyme in human of the uh, compound in human clinical trials. You've actually completed three early stage studies of. 14770. What do we know about it to date from the human studies? They're very encouraging. So we know that the compound is readily absorbed uh, from the gut, uh, that it has an adequate half-life in the blood. Uh, we know through PET imaging studies in, uh, in, uh, in monkeys that it uh, does distribute to the brain. Uh, we know that uh, at doses where we expect to see benefit, that we don't see uh, uh, issues with uh, tolerability. So at a dose where we can see uh, uh, cognitive benefit in healthy elderly subjects, we don't see any nausea or emesis. And then as we go much higher in dose, the 100-fold higher in dose, where we now um, are inhibiting uh, additional subtypes of the enzyme, then we see the characteristic uh, nausea and, and vomiting. So we're fairly confident that we that this compound is differentiated from uh, the earlier compounds, the fumalast and the premolast, that we can dose it uh, uh, adequately, that it reaches an effective concentration in the blood and the brain, and we have preliminary evidence that it has cognitive benefits. And as you do the mid-stage studies, what, what are you using as an efficacy endpoint? So... The uh, study has been designed in collaboration with Dr. Barry Kravitz at Rush University Hospital in Chicago, who's our principal investigator, and also with Dr. Uh, Trampaglia at the Fraxa Foundation. And so based on their clinical experience with earlier compounds that were evaluated in Fragile X, we selected a number of, uh, of behavioral and uh, biomarker endpoints that we would explore in this study. So we're looking at uh, uh, changes in various uh, behaviors, uh, anxiety, arousal. Uh, we'll be monitoring, uh, um, uh, uh, you'll be using the Vinland scale to monitor, monitor intellectual ability. Uh, we have two biomarkers, the eye tracking and uh, auditory evoke potentials that are altered in, uh, in Fragile X patients. And so... Uh, we're looking in this early study to see where is there evidence for clinical benefit 
and then would use those data to design a pivotal study, which we hope would be the, the study for marketing approval. You mentioned uh, this is a, a disorder with genetic repeats. Are you is is there an association between the number of repeats and the severity of the condition? And, and if so, are you looking that at all in terms of selecting patients for for the trial? Yeah, Danny, that's a great question. So the disease uh, uh, results uh, uh, if the uh, if the repeat is expanded beyond two hundred, and so all of the patients that will be enrolled in the in the study have been genotyped, and they all have repeat uh, repeat expansions greater than 200. Uh, what's the clinical path forward? Uh, so this is a, uh, so the, the, the initial clinical trial is uh, with 30 patients. Uh, they're eight, eight, ages 18 to 45. Uh, they all have the, all will have the full mutation. Uh, men are more severely affected than women, so we're enrolling exclusively men in this initial clinical trial. And uh, it's um, uh, a placebo-controlled, randomized uh, crossover study. So there's two arms. Um, everyone is exposed to uh, both placebo and to the drug for three months in each arm, so a total duration of treatment for six months. And this study is uh, fairly robust in terms of its uh, statistical power and uh, should tell us uh, uh, whether or not there's uh, a, a signal in terms of efficacy. And then based on these data, we would design a, a, the pivotal phase three study. We're able with this smaller study to enroll at a single site. A phase three study would involve multiple sites and probably would be conducted worldwide. Fragile X is a, a de developmental disorder. You, you're also looking at 14770 as a potential therapy for Alzheimer's disease and possibly other neurodegenerative conditions. What's the connection? Um, so the connection is the stabilization of the synapse so, and its preservation. So in Fragile X, we have biochemical evidence for dysregulation of cytokine P, and we have data from multiple animal models suggesting that if we increase cytokine P, we ameliorate disease. In Alzheimer's disease, um, uh, it's also a, a disease in which um, synaptic function is impaired, so the ability of neurons to communicate is impaired. And what we are intrigued by is the fact that um, up to 25 to 30 percent of people will develop Alzheimer's pathology in their brain during their lifetime, but not develop disease. The earliest uh, uh, publications describing this were based on a, a really famous a study, again connect, uh, conducted by, uh, by physicians at Rush University uh, with Carmelite nuns in Indiana. It's sometimes called the religious order study or the nun study. And what was found was that um, 25 to 30 percent of the nuns who uh, were examined post-mortem had Alzheimer's pathology but were not demented during their lifetime. So many of the people working in the field thought, well, if they lived longer, they might have become demented. But now with the imaging agents for amyloid and for tau pathology, it's also clear in, uh, 
in living subjects that substantial amyloid and tau pathology can develop without dementia. And this, this January, there was an interesting study looking at synapses. And what that study showed is that, again, post-mortem, that um, the individuals who had Alzheimer's pathology without dementia were the ones in which the synapses were protected. So they had the normal number of synapses in the region of cortex that was examined. Well, that is the that's what our drug does. Our drug um, influences this pathway for synaptic uh, stabilization. And now in animal models of Alzheimer's pathology, we see protection with the BPN14770 treatment. So we think Fragile X is a, is a, is a unmet medical need. It's a proof of concept for a study for or indication for a drug that, that modifies psychic AMP levels. And we think uh, that in Alzheimer's disease, particularly in the early stages of the disease, that the drug may have similar benefits. And where are you in terms of studying the drug as a potential treatment for Alzheimer's? Uh, with Alzheimer's disease, uh, we have uh, designed the clinical trial. We've begun to engage the sites. We've uh, uh, completed the process of identifying a CRO that would work with us to, uh, to run the trial. And uh, so we're ready to launch that, we hope, by the end of the year. We think of drugs being used to treat illness this is is this a drug with the potential to improve learning and memory and if so does it have a potential as an enhancer um yeah that's an danny that's really an interesting question so as we age it's clear to it, it's clear that we have a slow decline in uh, in cognitive function um you know is that abnormal and uh I would say, and is that something that should be acceptable? Um, I'd say I'd rather that my brain continue to function as it did when I was 20 uh, rather than uh, let it, you know, decrease in function as I age to 80. So I'm not sure it would be performance enhancing to give an elderly subject a drug that would allow them to live in their home and uh, drive their car to the store and remember the shopping list and pick the items off the shelf and then find their way home again. I think that uh, would have tremendous benefit, especially as, as we face uh, increasingly uh, growing populations, both in uh, our demographics, both in the U.S., Europe, and, uh, and Asia. Mark Gurney, Chairman and CEO of Tetra Discovery Partners. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, Danny, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.